please turn with me to Psalm 139 for our scripture reading this morning. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6, and once you have found it, if you could, please rise for the reading of scripture. The text reads, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lowing down, or in my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Can I be honest this morning, church? This passage scares me a bit. This passage leaves me a little bit unsettled. And maybe it's because I'm, I'm in this season of thinking about Sabbath, I'm in this season of, of thinking about ordering life in such a way as to have moments of reflection, moments of connecting to God, moments of harmonizing with God. That when I come to passages that tell me how deeply and intimately God already knows my heart, oh, yes. Yes, it, does. it scares me a little bit. <laughs> Not, not so much because I know what's in my heart. I think what really unsettles me is that if I'm really honest with myself, sometimes I don't even know what's buried back in I mean, if I'm really honest with myself, sometimes I don't even fully understand the depths of what rolls around inside of my spirit. And I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe I just don't take the time to explore it. Maybe I don't take the time to listen. But when I look at a scripture that tells me God looks so deeply inside of you and already knows. That scares me a little bit. The haze was a little thicker than usual that evening. A mixture somewhere between the haze of cigarette smoke and the deep fog that hung over that small town. This is, of course, quite normal. In 19th century Europe, there in Eastern Europe, with small Jewish-run inns dotting across the countryside. You all knew I was going to open with an old Rabbinic story, right? <laughs> it's a famous story about Rabbi Shemuel, who used to travel around in Eastern Europe, uh, speaking to Jewish communities, bringing... Uh, encouragement, insight to them during very trying times for the Jewish people. But you see, the thing about Rabbi Shemuel is as he walked down into these towns and he'd get in late at night and the fog was already settling and it was kind of hazy, it just reminded him of how much he liked home. You know, I, it's, it's fun to travel, but truth be told, he preferred the comfort of his own bed as he looked out over this town so as he was weary. He preferred the, the home-cooked food that he got. He didn't really like traveling all that much. He, he did it because he was a religious leader, you know? 
And he was there to, to, to bring encouragement to the people, to bring instructions to the people, the people that had written him a letter and said, please, we need you to come and guide us at this time. And so he was there. And so he comes into the inn, and uh, he, he checks in, he, he has his dinner, and he's sitting there thinking about the events that are laying before him as a leader of the Jewish people in a trying time in European history. And he notices across, across the, the way someone else who's sitting in that inn. And the individual just strikes him. The person is, is well, there's just something about him. You know, there's a lot of busyness in the inn. And this person just seems so centered, so calm. It was as if this person was not affected by, by the rush around him. Something about him seems stately. Almost as if there was this aura of holiness around him. And the rabbi looked across, across the inn at this individual, and he, he was kind of well-dressed. He was, uh, But it was just the way that he seemed so focused in this world of busyness. So the rabbi thought, well, I, I kind of want to find out what's going on with this individual. This, was, this must be a very holy individual. But you all know how awkward it is to stare at someone from across the room. We all know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's just me. I'm an extreme introvert and thereby uh, socially awkward. And so the rabbi decided that, uh, you know, maybe he won't go across and just say hello. It's, it's, you know, kind of weird to do so. Of course, the only weirder thing than staring at someone across the room is staring at someone across the room and then not going up and saying hello. But never mind, this is not a lesson on social etiquette. <laughs> Well, the rabbi goes about his business the next day, he comes back to the inn, and there he sees this same individual sitting there, and there's busyness all around, but this individual is just so grounded. There's just this, this holiness that seems to be radiating off of this, this person. And the rabbi looks across the room, and the rabbi thinks, well, you know what, I have to go study. Uh, he, he, he was reading through the Talmud, and he thinks, well, after I finish my lesson in the Talmud, maybe I'll go say hello. But when he finishes, behold, the man had already left. And so he lost another opportunity. And so Rabbi Shemuel, he decides, you know what, tomorrow evening I'm definitely going to talk to this person. So Rabbi Shemuel, he goes through his day, he comes back to the inn. And there, when he's eating dinner, he sees this individual sitting across the room. So grounded, so centered. Uh, this individual just, he, he could sit in the middle of a storm and not be pushed about and so the rabbi finally gathers up the confidence to go up and say hello. And so the rabbi looks at him and he says, how are you? And uh, the man looks a little bit surprised and he says, uh, I, I'm good, how, how are you? And the rabbi instantly launches into it. He says, who are you? Who are you? Now, have you ever thought about how hard it is to answer that question? That is not an easy question to answer. And the man kind of stumbles around and uh, says, what, what do you mean? And uh, the rabbi says, no, who are you? And the, the man wasn't really perturbed, but he just said, look, I'm, I'm just a simple guy. I sell shoes for a living. God has been good to me. That is all. But the rabbi said, no, there's something about you. There's some holiness or something. And he said, what do you do spiritually? Tell me about yourself spiritually. And the man said, well, what, what do you mean? And How much do you pray every day? How much do you study Torah every day? You must do all of these things that, that grounds you, that creates this holiness around you. And the man says, um, it, it's 
kind of embarrassing, but I, I don't study Torah. I, I really, I don't know how to read. And the rabbi said, well, well surely you, you pray a lot. And he said, well, I, I only really know one prayer, and I'm not very good at it. And uh, he, he, the man was kind of looking down at this point, and Rabbi Shemuel, he, he didn't want to judge the man. I mean, how could he? And so the rabbi, uh, he, he just said, look, I'm, I'm sorry to ask, can you just tell me about your day? And the man started to think, okay, this is a little weird, but he goes through his day, he's like, well, I get up in the morning, I eat breakfast, I go to work, and the man's thinking to himself, there is nothing out of the ordinary about my day. Why is this rabbi constantly asking these questions? And then the man said, well, you know, every night before I go to bed, really the only prayer that I have to pray is just very simple. Lord, the only thing I can ask from you is if I don't have what it takes to fulfill your mission for me in this world, don't let me wake up. That's all. That's the only prayer the man prayed. And the story, as it's been passed down through Judaism, just says, in that moment, Rabbi Shemuel had his answer. And it leaves us as readers, us as hearers of the story, a bit perplexed, because, one, we're not entirely sure what the question is that Rabbi Shemuel is looking for. But two, we're also not entirely sure what about this man's answer somehow illuminates Rabbi Shemuel. I don't pray much. All, all I do is just ask God, if, if I don't have what it takes to fulfill your mission, there's no need for me to wake up tomorrow morning. Who are you? That is a frightening question, isn't it? You know, this is like an introvert's worst nightmare at a party when someone walks up and says, who are you? And the, the truth is that I don't know this person. I don't know what I want to say. I, there's so many different ways we can present ourselves. Think about that. Like the way we present ourselves in a job interview looks very different than the way we present ourselves talking to someone who's kind of cute and we want to like us, right? It just is. And maybe part of the problem is just we, we, we wear a lot of different hats in life. You know, they're, they're just different roles that we play. You know, we, we have the hat of an employee or employer. Sometimes we, we come home and we play the hat, we, we put on the hat, the parenting hat, you know, where we're a parent. We just have a lot of different roles that we serve in life. And so when someone asks us, who are you? It can kind of depend on what role you're playing in that moment, right? The great thing about having these hats, I mean, as an introvert at least, when you're at a party and someone asks you, who are you? is you can just choose a hat to go with it, you know? So, who are you? Well, I work there, and that's all you really need to know about. You know? Or, who are you? I have two kids, and they're a lot of fun. Let me show you pictures so I don't have to keep talking. You know? These hats can kind of protect us sometimes, right? Because the truth is that we don't always want to show everything about who we are. Sometimes we don't even fully understand everything about who we are. Actually, sometimes these hats can serve a lot more like a mask, right? When we're talking to someone, we don't know who this person is. I'm going to put on a mask, and they can engage that mask. And that's kind of a way of protecting ourselves, right? So, so I'm, I'm going to put on the, the mask of, I'm a bookworm, and this is the only side of me that you're going to get to see in this conversation. Or, I'm, I'm coming home, and I'm going to put on that, that mask of, of parent and father, that this is really all the only side of me you're going to see in this moment. But you see, the thing is that, we put these masks on throughout life to protect us, don't we? Because people, well, let's be honest, people are kind of brutal, aren't they? 
And we don't necessarily want people seeing everything about us, right? Especially if we don't know who they are. People aren't trustworthy. Oh my goodness. We, we, we've got this conversation going on right now in our society about bullying in schools. I'm sure we've all seen this, right? And, and, we, look, and we look at this, this whole situation, and of course, a lot of people have faced bullying, but now we've got social media. Someone gets bullied and it echoes throughout the years on the interweb. Like, this is a whole different level. And we can look at, at the situation in schools with kids getting bullied and we can say, wow, there's just this extreme lack of compassion. But it's not just in schools that we have a lack of compassion, is it? No. It just seems like this lack of compassion just echoes throughout our society. You know, It's easy for us to look and say, oh, this next generation, there's something wrong with them. It's a lot different when we ask, how does that reflect us? As, because people can be brutal, right? And so I don't want to let someone in and see a part of my heart that is uncertain. I don't want to let someone in and see a part of my heart that is, that is insecure. I don't want to let someone in and see my fears because people are brutal. Yeah. And so I'm going to put that mask on, right? To protect myself. You're not going to get to see that fear inside me because I'm afraid of what you might do with it. No, so you get to see this mask of who I am. You get to see this, this, this front of who I am because I need to protect myself from people. Actually, psychologists call this a persona. Like, like it's, it's an actual thing. A persona is, is the Latin term for a mask that was worn by actors in the theater. You know, you put the mask on and you play the part. And what psychologists say is oftentimes when we go throughout life, that's what we end up doing to protect ourselves. We put the mask on so that we can play the part to protect ourselves. And, and then we kind of decorate our masks to send a signal to other people. So my mask may look very aggressive because I don't want people messing with me. My mask may look angry because I don't want people messing with me. We, we decorate them. And sometimes I decorate my mask with all of my great accomplishments because I want people to be impressed by who I am. Sometimes what I do is I decorate my mask with all the great things that I've done because I want them to value me based upon what I've done. And so I, I go and I put on my, my professional mask, and on that professional mask, I've got to look at all these awards, right? Someone value me for my awards. Okay, I, I got all the great things I've done. Oh, I want people to see that I'm useful. And so I put on my mask, and I decorate it, and I want people to value me based upon all of those things that I've done. You know what the scary thing is? Every time I do that, every time I want to roll out my resume so that someone is impressed by all the things I can do, all how useful I can be, really all I'm doing is I'm just hustling for my own value. Really all I'm doing is I'm just hustling to get some value in this world. There's a problem though when we roll out every day and we put that mask on to protect ourselves. Because after a while of wearing that mask, it's almost like we can forget who we are underneath the camera. I've gone through life, through, through this job, so much with, with, with this mask of resilience on, just to survive in that environment that I almost forget who I am underneath. I can lose sight of what's really in there in my heart. You know, and sometimes we switch masks throughout the day. 
Yeah. Have you ever noticed that like, <laughs> one group of friends who act one way, and another group of friends who act a different way? Yeah. I mean, it happens, right? And it's just the social dynamics of, of groups, right? You may be with one group where you feel very comfortable, and you can joke around, and you're like, you know, the class clown. And then you've got another group where, you know, you just have no sense of humor, because you don't trust them. Right? It happens. It happens. But the problem is we keep switching masks throughout the day, who we are. We keep playing into these roles. Is that somewhere in the middle we can start to lose who we are at our core. At some point we can start feeling a little bit fragmented. Like I have to play too many parts in this world. And at some point I feel like I'm not really playing any of them very well, am I? Almost as if I start lacking this wholeness. It's like now my heart itself begins breaking apart. And, and I've got this one part of my life that is entirely separate from this other part of my life. And I walk around and I start feeling like I'm just carrying my life in pieces. Has anyone ever felt that way? No, some, someone tell me that's not just me. But then every time I put on that mask to engage somebody, right? Every time I, I cover up that, that part inside my heart that I don't want anyone seeing, and I start forming a relationship, who's that person really forming a relationship with? It's my mask, right? It's not me. And after I go through a lifetime of that, I'm going to start to feel it. Because I'm not really connecting to people, am I? No. I've always got a mask between me and them. I've always got a barrier between me and them. They're to protect me. And then I start feeling this emptiness in my relationship. And then I start feeling this emptiness inside my heart. And I start asking myself, who am I? I'm not my job, am I? Who am I? I'm not just this one role in life, am I? Who am I? We do the same thing in church, don't we? We put on masks for church, don't we? Yeah. Let can we be honest for a second? Yeah. Okay, look, everyone in here is well-intentioned, right? Yeah. But we all talk about church folk, right? Yeah. Okay, you, you all have heard a joke at some point about church folk, right? Cultural Christianity, okay? And just because we're all here with good intentions and good hearts, it doesn't necessarily mean we instinctively trust everyone, right? Amen. And there are reasons for that, okay? We, we, we like to tell jokes about, um, about you know, people who come to church to be seen, as opposed to those who come to church to see. Am I correct? Or we like to talk about people who, who come to church to feel better, not people who come to church so that they may grow to become better. Right? Okay, and, and, and we have these kind of jokes, these kind of jokes that we tell uh, because there, there's a culture around church in American society, right? And when we enter into this culture, we don't entirely trust it, do we? I could ask, has anyone here ever been burned by someone in the church? But I'm pretty sure every hand would go on, right? Yes. And so we come to church, put on that mask, right? And I decorate my mask with all of my Christian accomplishments, and I say, please value me as useful for the church because of all these accomplishments. Please value me as useful for the kingdom of God because of all these things that I have done. And what do I end up doing? I end up coming to church and hustling for my own value once again, don't I? Yeah. Doing the same thing that I do out there in here. And how long do I have to do that before I start feeling empty in here too? How long do I have to do that before I come to a place where I'm supposed to be worshiped by God and I just feel hollow inside? Not entirely sure who I am. Because how long do I come to church wearing a mask? Because, because I don't want everyone to see my fear. 
I don't want people to see my insecurities. I don't want people to see my uncertainty. So I put that mask on to protect myself. And then I come stand before God wearing that mask. Y'all see where I'm going with this? Has anyone here ever felt like your connection to God was somehow lost its way? Or had somehow grown hollow? As, as if you look around, you see everyone else raising their hands. Could be a mask. Okay. But we see it. And we think, I just don't feel that inside. Why? But then we start looking inside. It's like, I don't even know who I am inside. Because I brought, I brought my mask. Turn and tell someone, take the mask off. But it gets worse. You see, when, when I get used to valuing myself based upon all of my decorations on my mask, how do I start looking at my neighbor when they don't have those same decorations? Y'all see where we're going with this? You see, because I put my mask on and I say, hey, look at all the cool things I can do. Look at how useful I can be. Value me for all of this that I do. But then when I sit next to someone else and they don't decorate their mask the same way, what do I do? I judge them as not as useful. Ooh, now I'm into some dangerous territory, aren't I? Has anyone ever had someone look down on you as if you were not useful just because you didn't decorate your mask the same way? But that's the danger when this is how we engage in you, right? Because we can start judging them just because they don't look the way we want them to look. Just because they don't decorate their masks the way that we decorate our masks. And now we become part of the problem, right? We become the church folk that we like to tell jokes about, don't we? See, my friends, when we want to hold up all of our accomplishments in order to protect ourselves on our mask, and we want people to look at all of those and say, value us for all of this that I can do, after a while, that's how we start valuing other people. And now, not only do I come to church hustling for my own value, but I come to church expecting other people to do the same. Turn and tell someone, take the mask off. Jesus said, Something really frightening to me. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them and say, Yeah, but I didn't even know how many times do I want to stand before God and say, God, I'm useful. I can do this, this, and that. God, I'm useful. I've accomplished all of these great things. I've got all this stuff on my resume. But when we get to the end here, what's it about? God just wants to know us. And that's a scary thing to think about standing before God when I don't have all of my works and accomplishments standing in the way. Can, can, can I take this one step further? It's a scary thing to stand before God when I can't hide behind the deeds of my hands. Because God doesn't... Look, we all know that fruit is important in the life of a Christian, right? The Christian life should grow fruit in, inside of our lives. We should be making a difference in the world around us. But when God looks at us, He wants to see us, who we are, with the fears, the insecurities, the rough edges. He doesn't want to see us hiding behind a mask that's designed to make other people think how useful we are. Imagine standing before God when you don't have that mask in front of you. Standing before God when you say, God, look into my heart 
not into all the things that I've done to decorate my mask. That's a scary thing, isn't it? Turn and tell someone, take the mask off. See, my friends, we, we, we are in a bit of a, well, some people would say we're in a crisis in modern American Christianity. You know, uh, there, there are a lot of books out there on, like, you know, the comeback church, and why do those books all sell? Well, because we have a lot of churches that are struggling with numbers right now, right? I read a lot of op-eds in, in newspapers and journals from pastors expressing anxiety that, uh, that numbers are down, membership is down, giving is down, everything is, seems to be down. And it's not that American society is not spiritual. It very much is. It's just that a lot of people are no longer coming to the church in order to find that spirituality. And so in, in, in these books that I read, in the op-eds, we talk about what's the answer? What do we have to do as Christians to get people back into the doors? Do we have to rebrand somehow? And so some churches do that, right? We rebrand. Uh, we decide, well, you know, maybe, maybe people don't like the denominational label because those, those kind of leave a sour taste in some people's mouths now from years of denominational fighting. And so we'll take the denominational title off and we'll just call ourselves... Uh, you know, a non-denominational or a community church or something. We'll, we'll rebrand, right? Maybe that will solve the problem. Or other people, they say, well, we need to become more relevant. And so we, we find all these ways to kind of contort ourselves, to have this image of relevance inside of us. Some rather prominent Christian leaders want to say, well, what we need to do is acquire political power so that we can use that to sway the tide of American culture. doing what they have to do in order to attract people, bolstering the political privileges of Christianity. I read books on dying churches, I read books, editorials on anxiety-ridden pastors, and they talk about what well, we, we can change the way we, we decorate, we can change the, the colors, we can change the names, we can change this, we can change that, we can change the social media marketing, we can change the image. <coughs> All of it comes back to this. What we should do is just change our mask. And you see, my friends, sometimes I read through this, and, and I don't want to discredit honest intentions of thinking through how to minister in this world. Because this is a complicated world, and it takes a wide variety of ministers to make an impact inside of it. But sometimes, when I read this, it makes me wonder if we are so concerned with trying to save ourselves, save our numbers, save our membership, that we are losing who we are. That we're so concerned with rebranding that we're not looking at who we are behind the mask. Exactly. Part of me wonders if we're too concerned with trying to change the mask that we want to show the world, trying to make ourselves look more relevant, that we overlook what lies behind the mask. Jesus says in Luke 9 that whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And sometimes I wonder if we get too caught up in trying to save our own numbers, trying to save our own life, trying to rebrand in order to survive, when really what we should be willing to do is let that go just to serve in the kingdom and to minister to people where God is called. Sometimes I wonder if we're too trying to save our own lives and we're losing who we are as Christians inside of this world. Because see, my friends, Jesus tells us People will know you are my disciple by how you love. Not by your social media marketing. Not by the mask. Not by how, how 
uh, how relevant you can be or how many uh, laser lights you can have in, in a worship service. By how you love. That's what should be the marker of who we are at our core. And, and uh, 1 John chapter 4 tells us that we love because God first loved us. There is this sense in this verse that God pours God's love into us. And as that love flows into us, it flows out into the world. We learn how to love based upon God loving us. And maybe there's the problem. Because when I stand before God with my mask on, how much that love can I really receive? And if I stand before God with my mask on and that love is not pouring into me, if I'm not willing to let that love flow into me, then how much of that same love can I share out into the world around me? It's, it's like this. I want people to love me for, my, for, for all of the rich and ornate accolades and the decorated mask. And I want to be valued for that. And when I stand before God and I ask God, value me this way as opposed to value me for who I am. Then how am I ever going to learn to love the way that God loves in this world? Turn and tell someone, take the mask off. You see, when we take that mask off and we let God love into us, and let's be honest, underneath that mask, we've got some rough edges, am I correct? Underneath that, that, that mask, we have some difficult parts of our personalities. We are not always amenable, okay? Underneath that mask, we are not always pleasant people. And that's where God wants to pour His love into the difficult parts of our life, into the insecure parts of our life. Into the places where we're afraid. That's where God wants His love pouring. And that's where we should be able to pour our love into others. You ever think about what it's like to love unconditionally? Realize how hard that is? Because people can be very difficult to be around sometimes. And it can be really hard to show love to people when they're difficult to be around. And God loves me when I am difficult to be around. Which means if that's the kind of love God shows me on my good days and on my bad days, what kind of love should be flowing out of me into this world? Turn and tell someone, take off the mask. Rabbi Akiva. We've got one more old rabbinic story, if y'all don't mind. There's a famous story about Rabbi Akiva. Okay, he's a famous rabbi from around the time of Jesus. And Rabbi Akiva, one day, he, he was walking uh, along the road that he normally walked on. It was getting late, and uh, the, the story tells us he lost his way. He took a wrong turn, okay? And, and uh, if, if I may be permitted to be so bold, like a typical man, he didn't stop and ask for directions. <laughs> and he's walking along the road, and all of a sudden, a voice calls out from above and says, Stop! Who are you? And why are you here? Those are some serious questions. And the rabbi looks up and sees that he had stumbled upon a Roman fortress. And there was a guard standing at the top of the fortress calling out, Stop! Who are you? And why are you here? Because you have no business being in this military installation. The rabbi looks up. Uh, and he immediately responds, How much do they pay you for this? <laughs> By the way, not a great response to a Roman soldier. Okay? And the man looks at him, almost expecting the rabbi now to try and bribe him. And you don't want to bribe a Roman soldier, trust me, okay? And the guard's a little taken aback, and he quickly says, What do you mean, and why exactly are you going to ask me this? And uh, 
the rabbi prawns further, and he says, I'm sure they pay you something to stand up there and ask those same two questions. He said, what do they pay you? And the soldier said, well, two shekels a day. And as the story goes, Rabbi Akiva looks up at the guard, and he says, I will pay you double that if you come home with me and ask me those same two questions every day. Who are you? And why are you here? This was a rabbi who had a very decorated mask. This is a rabbi who had done a lot of great things. And yet somewhere in the midst of it, he knew that he needed to remember who he was underneath that mask. Who are you? Why are you here? Who are you? Because sometimes we get so caught up playing the part that we lose sight of who we are under the mask. Who are you? Because sometimes we get so caught up upholding the persona of the kingdom that we lose sight of living out the kingdom. Who are you? Because sometimes we get so caught up playing church that we stop being the church. Turn and tell someone, take the mask off. Maybe we don't need to be grand. Maybe we just need a, a place where we can come and take our mask off. Maybe we don't need to change our social media marketing. Maybe we just need a place where people can be loved for who they are. Who would have thought? In the church. Maybe we don't need to change the sign out front of the logo. Maybe we just need a place where I can be loved for who I am and not who other people think that should be. Maybe I need a place where I can feel the love of God. Because let's be honest, God loves us for who we are, not who we should be. God loves us for all of our rough edges. Turn and tell someone, take the mask off. Sometimes we walk through life and we wonder, why do I have a hard time connecting to people? And then we realize, I'm engaging everyone through a mask. And I can say the same thing of God. I wonder, how is it that, that I see all these other Christians, they seem to connect to God, but for some reason inside of me it just feels hollow. Why? And then I realize, I'm engaging God through a mask. It's scary to think about what's inside of my heart because I don't even know. And so when I read Psalm 139, that, that frightens me. God sees things in me I don't even see. I'm so comfortable hiding behind my mask. That's all I want people to see. But God wants me to take the mask off. God wants me to stand before him where I'm not hiding behind all the things I've done, all the things I can list on a resume, all the awards that I can put up on a wall. God just wants me, rough edges and all. And God wants to love me that way. And maybe when I'm willing to take that mask off and let God love me that way, then maybe I can learn to love others that way. And then maybe when someone comes into that door, I'm not loving them based upon what I think they should be. I can love them for who they are. Doesn't matter how they dress. Doesn't matter how they act. Doesn't matter what rough edges they let show through. And maybe when people find in the church a place where they can be loved for who they are, maybe we won't be so worried about saving our lives, about saving our numbers, because we will have found who we are. Who are you? Why are you here? In this moment, we want to transition into a time of reflection. And I want to ask, we just take a moment and search inside of our hearts. What masks do we have? Are we ready to take them off?
doors of the church are open. Hello, my name is Constance. Praise Team Seeger here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about our congregation online at onefellowshipumc.org. You can also like us on Facebook in order to stay up to date with the latest events and activities taking place in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others on social media so that more people can hear about what God is doing here at One Fellowship Church. Thank you and God bless.